Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. Lord, let rivers of living water flow out of our inner beings tonight, Lord. Bring refreshing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You can be seated tonight. You have your Bibles. You can go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're just going to dive around and take a look at Scripture just for a little bit tonight. Just see where we end up. Just dig around a little bit. Is that okay that we just dig around? Just a little bit. <laughs> well, at least somebody's happy. That's good. <laughs> at least somebody's happy to be in church. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. Tonight, like I said, I just want to dig around take a look at Scripture, and see what the Lord might show you tonight. Maybe He'll reveal something to you tonight. Just take a look at the mirror. James says we need to take a look at the mirror of the Word. Maybe we just need to take a, take a good glance, long glance in the mirror of the Word tonight. Who knows? Maybe you might find something that you didn't see before. Amen? Are you all out there tonight? Is the rain just raining on your parade tonight? Or are you just... I feel like I moved into First Baptist Church down the road. I'm not quite sure what happened. <laughs> not sure what quite what happened tonight. I, last I checked, this was Celebration Church. I, I don't know. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness. Everybody say lowliness. lowliness. Gentleness. Uh, we lost a couple of you there. Gentleness, Gentleness. with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Yeah, say that. You all need to hear yourself say that. <laughs> There you go. Something like that. <laughs> Paul starts out, he says, therefore, in other words, consider these things. Consider, consider what I just previously said in Ephesians 3, verse 14. He says, this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant to you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? In, in His love may be able to what? Comprehend, to understand with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height. So God, Paul's saying, I want you to understand something that's incomprehensible, something that's beyond knowledge, human knowledge. 
something that's beyond your ability in the natural to understand. I want you to dive into the ocean depths of God's love. Tonight, you need to dive in. Some of you need a good dip in the love of God. Your face looks like you've soured in the sun all day. You need to dive into the fresh, fresh waters of heaven, of the waters of his love tonight. Amen. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled, filled, everybody say filled, filled with all the fullness. That's, that's a powerful statement. And of his fullness. John wrote, we have received grace for grace. We want to dive in and receive of His fullness. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And amen. He just, this is what Paul's considering when he writes in Ephesians 4 in verses 1 and 2 that we've just read in verse 3. So I, therefore, considering this as a prisoner of the Lord, he was in chains, he was in bondage by Nero, but he was captured by God. He was a prisoner of the Lord. He made it clear that Nero may have arrested him, but he was in the chains of the Lord that God had called him. You know, he was, he was writing this from a place of humility. He was writing this from a place of humility to the, the Ephesian church, saying, I want you to consider your calling. Consider yourselves and consider the calling that God has placed on your life. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1, it says, For this reason, I, Paul, he uses the same term, the prisoner of Christ, for you the Gentiles. If indeed you have heard of the discipline, he goes on, verses 6 through 7 of chapter 3. He says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So Paul is saying to them, I am a prisoner of Christ. I am in the bondage and the chains of Christ to do this, to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. My calling, the hand of God has been placed on me. I am in bondage. I am in change. I have become the bondservant of Christ to pro do what? To proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. Amen. We are here as a result of that. You're here today. You are born again. You're in the body of Christ as a result of the preaching of Paul to the Gentiles. And so that's what he's telling us. Consider these things. I'm the prisoner of the Lord and I am telling you to consider the calling of the Lord on your life. What is the call of God on your life? What is God called you to do? Of course, just a couple of chapters previously, Paul writes about us being created in Christ Jesus. We're the handiwork of God for good works that, that God has preordained for you and I to do. So there, there is a purpose and a plan that God has placed on your life. There is, there is a fulfillment of God in your life to do what only you can do. You were created unique by the handiwork of God to display his glory. Amen. There is a unique way that only you can display the glory of God. And God has called you. He's chosen you. He's placed His hand on your life for this purpose. Romans 8 tells us that all things work to good for those who are called according to His purpose. So as you begin to launch out, as you step out, you know, sometimes 
we're intimidated of the call of the Lord. When you start talking about the calling of God and, and the things that God has for us, God, I don't know that I could do that. I don't know if I could lead Night of Hope. I don't think I could lead an, a care group, small group. I don't know that I could step out and, and ministry and begin to fulfill the things that you've placed before me to do. But as we do, we know that God has foreordained for all of those things to work out for your good and His glory. So what do you have to be afraid of? What do you have to be intimidated by? Is it your insecurities that are keeping you from stepping out in the fullness of God's plan and purpose for your life? Is it the fear that's keeping you from stepping out? Hello, is anybody out there? <laughs> is it fear that's keeping you? Fear keeps you in bondage. You know, we just started, we just started a fit to live challenge for our staff. So all of our staff and our interns and everybody is going through this challenge. And uh, it can be a little intimidating, especially when you're dealing with it with my wife, who is a health, health Nazi. And uh, most of the time. Yeah, except for when she throws microphones. She's really nice. But, you know, and she's done, she's taught prior to us moving here, how many years of, three or four years of Biggest Loser teaching people how to lose weight. You know, she was joking with our staff. She said, and it was funny watching some of the responses. You know, I've had people break, three or four people break my scales before. And, uh, you know, so she's literally break, broken the scale. So you don't have nothing to be afraid of, you know. And you just see the looks of fear of, I got to get on a scale in front of you every week. I gotta, you got to measure me and do what? You're going you're gonna to check my calories and know what I'm eating. And just the, the fear, the look of fear. I've got to... What? I'm going to do what? So you can be praying for all of our staff as we go through this fit to live challenge. But, but sometimes fear will incapacitate us. The insecurities, well, I could never be good enough. I can't do that. Whatever the case might be, will incapacitate you, keep you from fulfilling the plan and the calling of the Lord on your life. But Paul gives us some instruction how to fulfill that. He gives us instruction in the following verses how to fulfill the call of God on our life. First off, he says, with all lowliness. The Greek word for the word there in lowliness is humility or humbleness of mind, modesty. I don't know if they have my notes and they're going to put them on the screen, maybe, help you follow along. But I, have a, I hope they do because uh, I have a lot of scriptures we're going to go through tonight. Andrew Murray says this about humility. He says, it is nothing... Humility is nothing by the disappearance, but the disappearance of self and the vision that God is all. So we, we begin, as believers, we begin to see God in His fullness. Our eyes become fixed on who He is and all that God has promised. No longer are we looking at our fears and our insecurities, but we fix our eyes on Christ and humility causes self to disappear. Romans 12 and verse 3 says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. That word soberly is with sound judgment, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And so when you view yourself, this goes both ways. Are you viewing yourself with sound judgment? Do you think of yourself more highly than you ought? Are you the opposite end of the spectrum? Always beating yourself up, thinking that you're a horrible person, allowing your insecurities to speak. Fix your eyes on Christ. Amen. Fix your eyes on Christ and allow Him. Allow Him to cause all of the insecurities and the fear to dissolve. James 4.10 says to humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. 
Proverbs 22, 4 says, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Humility minimizes arrogance and removes pride. It is understanding that our fallen nature and our tendency to think we are better than we are and our striving to lift ourselves up above others and God. It is admitting that others and more importantly, God is responsible for our achievements. Humbleness will enable us to be a teachable person who is willing to have the attitude of submission and servanthood, one who confesses sin and remembers how Christ served us. Christ took, and, you know, of course we remembered, you know, in the, the Last Supper, Christ became the servant. But humility, I, I want to zero in on this phrase. Humility will cause you to become a teachable person. How many of you know when you embark on the journey that the Lord has placed before you, sometimes you don't have it all figured out? Sometimes when you start the path and the journey that God has placed you on, you don't have all the answers. You don't know how it's all going to work out. You don't have the wisdom or the experience. You've not been down that road before. And so it would be helpful for you to be teachable and allow others who've been down that path, who've been down that journey to walk you through and to guide you and to understand that you don't have it all figured out. It's quiet up in here tonight <laughs> for many reasons. And he goes on with all lowliness and gentleness. This word gentleness in the Greek means gentleness of spirit or meekness. To have a mild disposition. <laughs> this is a result of humility. When you begin to put on humility, meekness is the result. James 1.21 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. When you begin to allow the, the meekness or the gentleness of the Lord to reign in your heart, what happens is the Word of God, the seed, Peter talked about the, the imperishable seed that was sown into our hearts, begins to germinate. You know, when you go out and you want, uh, you know, whatever, an apple tree, you go put the tree in the, the, you go put the tree in the ground. You might try that. We'll see how that goes. Just go plant a tree if you want an apple tree. If you want an apple tree, what do you do? What do you do? You plant a seed. You got to get the seed into the ground. And when the seed goes into the ground, you allow it to germinate. You water it. It's got to have the nutrition. And it begins to germinate and produce an apple tree. And so the result of meekness, allowing ourselves to be teachable in the Lord, allowing ourselves to hear, to receive the word of the Lord, begins to allow that seed to germinate and produce fruit in our lives. Now, the opposite of this, how many of you remember in Hebrews, it says, don't allow the root of what to take? The root of bitterness. Don't allow the root of bitterness to take root in your heart. And so what the opposite of this is, pride, when you begin to allow pride to germinate in your heart, the opposite effect of meekness is this root of bitterness. All of a sudden, you think you know better than somebody else. You've got it figured out better than somebody else. You know what you're doing more so than anything. Does anybody hear what I'm saying tonight? you got it all figured out, and then all of a sudden, because you know better, you think better, you understand better, you get offense in your heart. I, this happens all the time as a pastor. Ask me how many times a week I see this happen. They, it's at me usually. I'm offended with you, pastor, because you were preaching the truth. Well, you think you know better than me. You think you know better than the word. I, I'm telling you. 
I can't tell you how many times people have said, I'm leaving your church because of, I'm convicted or I don't like the presence of the Lord. All of these things, they don't like it. They don't like that. They don't like the reality of God in their face, in their business. They don't like, we don't like when things begin to burp out of us. You know, I said on Sunday, thank the Lord when our issues begin to burp out. Don't run from that. Don't run from the, the hand of God touching the issues of your heart. It's funny, we've, we've, got a, we've been joking here as of late with the staff. Man, the Lord is just touching all sorts of buttons here lately and pushing all sorts of buttons with people. Things are just burping. Not in a bad way, in a good way. You know, things that people have even forgotten about in their past have been burping out. Thank the Lord for that. He doesn't do that for any reason. He does it to deal with the issues of our heart, to change us, to metamorphosize us, to make us into His image so that we can be worthy of the calling that He's placed on our life. So don't run when the Lord begins to deal with the issues of your heart. Don't get offended by it. Don't be offended by the Lord. You know, Jesus saying, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Does this offend you? There's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. I mean, that's really what he said. And so that's, that's the, it, it says it in the English Standard Version. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. That's what he said. Let the Lord change you. Let Him metamorphosize. Don't become offended with God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness puts men in a mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no man. <laughs> to speak evil of no man. To be no brawlers. There's no brawlers here tonight. But gentle. Nobody wants to argue. You know, I love... I'll give you a freebie. As we're talking about <laughs> not brawling. I just this is a good this is a good word for someone tonight. This is the great this is the greatest marriage verse you could ever read. Are you ready? I'm going to help I'm going to give you the the best marriage advice you could ever get. Are you ready? James chapter 4. This is best best this is the best it gets. James chapter 4. I'm going to prevent somebody tonight from killing their spouse. <laughs> I'm serious. And those who aren't married, well, they'll help you in the future. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you don't have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight, you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it for your own pleasures. In other words, where, where is this coming from? There's a meekness issue. There's a meekness issue here. There's a pride issue. There's a lack of meekness. You have unmet expectations. Where do fights and wars and quarrels, where does all that come from? Unmet expectations. That's what James is writing here. You want and you don't get it, so you're going to fight. You, you want and then what you want, you want to waste it on your own pleasure, your own desires, your own self-will. So meekness is the opposite of this. Meekness is the opposite of this. It's not being a brawler, but it's being gentle. It's being able to communicate in love and not fighting and quarreling. Adam Clark says this, He who is of a meek or gentle spirit is ever ready to associate with the meanest of those who fear God. 
feeling himself superior to none, and well knowing that he has nothing of spiritual or temporal good but what he has received from the mere bounty of God, having never deserved any favor from his hand. That's, that is meekness. If you take a look at the life of Jesus, a great example of this is the Samaritan woman. This is a woman he's not even supposed to be talking to. This is someone of cross-cultural uh, experience, if you will. He's not even supposed to be ministering to her, and he takes time with her at the well and ministers to her at the point of her need. And she had a great reputation, right? She had a great reputation, and here Jesus is with the woman at the well. John Gill says this, who are not easily, meekness, these are folks who are not easily provoked to anger, who patiently bear and put up with injuries and affronts, who carry themselves courteously, courteously, let me get my English on, courteously, and affably to all, having the meanest of thoughts of themselves and the best of others, do not envy the gifts and graces of other men, are willing to be instructed and admonished by the meanest of the saints, quietly submit to the will of God and adverse dispensations of providence and ascribe all they have and are to the grace of God. Wow. Wow. This is putting on the, the meekness of the Lord. The third word he uses here is long-suffering. In the Greek, it means patience or endurance. It means constancy, consistency, or being steadfast. In Matthew 27, verses 13 through 14, we find Jesus, he's being He's on trials, being questioned by Pilate. And Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered them not a word. And the governor marveled greatly. Jesus was being questioned, and he sat there patiently. He endured the questioning. He endured the testing. How many of us, when we face trials and testings, can say that we can honestly keep our mouth shut? The very first thing we want to do when a hard time comes is run our mouth to everybody, anybody who will listen, pity party, depression, discouragement, and we just breed contempt in the body. I know nobody here tonight, and this is everybody is perfect and godly and holy, and nobody here tonight has these issues, but, but in case that you do, when you find yourself in a hardship, it's probably best that you put a lid on it Zip it shut and go to the Lord first. Talk to Him about it first. James said when you face trials of various kinds, what are you going to do? Count it all. Joy. I don't know how many times I can preach this. This is one of my favorite verses. I use it all the time. Command yourself to be in a place of joy. Everybody say joy. joy. Hit your neighbor and say you need to be happy. Oh, y'all are quiet. Hit them good. Slap them hard. You got a permission. You're sitting by your spouse. They might need to have a good hit and tell to be happy. Be joyful. Be joyful in the time of trial and strife. Colossians chapter 1 says, so that you will walk in a manner. Now, you'll notice the similarities in Paul's writing here. He says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. <laughs> ha ha. <laughs> he he. Some of you just need to get your laugh on. You need to fake it till you make it or something. Just, you know, just begin. If you don't know where to start, just ha ha. He he. This week, 
You know, I was listening to the, song, the house fire song, Joy. We, we do it every once in a while. Sometimes you just need to turn on the, I've got a river of life. <laughs> you just got to make yourself be in a place of joy. It's a lot better than being depressed and discouraged. You know, it's funny, and I know I say this all the time, but it's funny how many people get mad at me because we laugh in church. What's the laughing all about? Well, I would much rather have people laughing than crying. I'd much rather have people that are joyful than depressed and discouraged and beat up and fearful all the time, right? First Peter 1, 6-9 says, In this you greatly rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. rejoice. You know, Peter's, Peter's writing from a place, you know, Nero's after them. It's absolutely full-on persecution. And he's writing to them in the midst of absolute persecution, saying, yeah, you're dealing with, the, you know, various trials. No big deal. And rejoice. You know, Nero, Nero's burning down the city. Rejoice. <laughs> he's impaling Christians. Rejoice. He's lighting them on fire when they're still alive. Rejoice. And we think our, our bank account going in the red is a bad deal. You're still breathing. We think, we think facing some stubborn people at work or stubborn people at home or family or whatever is a bad situation. Though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That, that, why? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. Verse 8. Whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. This, this is the joy of the Lord for your situation. That you can endure, what, is, what does Nehemiah say? that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so in the middle of hardship, you can endure with joy. You don't have to just barely make it or barely get by. You can be happy about your circumstance. You can be happy when you're facing hardship. I'm just, I, I'm just plowing tonight. I'll just keep going. I'll go find every scripture on joy if I need to. Right now, spontaneously, <laughs> until you get it. Until breakthrough happens, let's just do this. I'll start with one of my favorite. Y'all have heard it before. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Have you ever been in a place of bondage and the Lord delivered you out of it? We were like those who dream. And our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with singing. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are sad. <laughs> That's not what it says. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall what? Reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You know, this isn't just a good 
mental idea or thought. The joy of the Lord. Psalms 126 makes it very clear. He will fill your mouth with joy. There is an overflow of joy that ought to be coming from the sounds of your mouth. Ha, 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 ha. Good place to start. Laughter. The sound of heaven. Heaven's a joyous place. It's a happy place. You know, I was I'm preparing for as in the days of Noah, and I was doing some research and things today, and I was just thinking about, you know, here's a guy for 120 years who worked on an art and was mocked every day. 120 years who was mocked about what God had told him. They've never seen rain. Noah, you've lost your mind, buddy. Why are you building an ark? For the joy of the Lord that was set before him. He endured. And as a result of his enduring, he and his family were saved. Sometimes enduring is not just sitting by passively waiting for the next phase of life to come. Sometimes enduring, sometimes waiting on the Lord and he shall renew your strength means that there's a little bit of activity going on and being faithful with what he's called you to do in the season that you're in. Sometimes the season that you're in might be praying in tongues a lot <laughs> to get through. You might be praying in the spirit. You need to do that anyway. But, but maybe, it's, maybe it's just sitting by and, and writing down, journaling all that the Lord is doing. Sometimes he's going to have you actively engaged doing things and ministering to others, finding the hurting and the broken and loving on those around you in the midst of your hurt. Sometimes it's just sitting and allowing God to heal you. Sometimes it's a process. It looks different in every season. But be busy about whatever it is that the Lord's called you to do in that season. That busyness is striving to enter his rest. You know, people say all the time, well, what's entering the rest of the Lord? It's not just laying on the floor all day. I, I Listen, I'm all about, you know, laying on the floor, laying in the presence of the Lord, people falling and laying on. I have no problems with that. The scripture's full of that. I have no problems with laying in the presence of the Lord, allowing him to work in our heart, work in our life. You know, I say it all the time. But if it was all about falling, we just all line up, count to three, fall down on the floor and go home, we'd be good. So I, I believe that in the power of God touching people, but, but waiting on the Lord is more than just falling and laying on the floor all day. I wish I could come in and lay on the floor all day. That'd be wonderful. But my dishes ain't getting done, the house isn't getting cleaned, and the dog's not going out, and the house is getting smelly because the dog's not going out. I mean, let's just be realistic. Sometimes waiting on the Lord is fulfilling what He's called you to do in that season. And sometimes it's not doing any more than that. Because sometimes we just want to do it our way and how we want to do it and when we want to do it. And it's oftentimes in those seasons the Lord's just saying, can you just sit back and relax? Can you just lay on the floor? Can you just learn to rest? Physically, just stop, just stop the activity. Psalms 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of some of them. All of them. The Lord wants to deliver you out of all of them. You can come out of the furnace without even the smell of smoke on your head. God wants to deliver you. He wants to set you free. The next thing he says is that we are to bear with one another in love. 
uh-oh. <laughs> now maybe we should wrap up the night and just all go home. You know, it's been, it's been pretty intense up until now, and this is really going to cross the line with some, so I'm just going to forewarn you. Bearing with one another in love. It says we do, this is what Albert Barnes says, by the way, that will put it up on the screen. We do not go far with any fellow traveler on the journey of life before we find there is a great occasion for its exercise, meaning bearing with one another in love. He has a temperament different from our own. He may be sanguine or choleric or melancholy, while we may be just the reverse. Lie has pe- peculiarities and taste and habits and disposition, which differ much from ours. He has his own plans and purpose. This is the person we're journeying with. He has his own plans and purpose. Some of you think this is your husband. This is, this is a generic. He is a generic, okay? It could be she and whoever you're journeying with. He has his own plans and purposes of life and his own way and time of doing things. Never. <laughs> you know, my wife, my wife will tell you, one of the first lessons we had to learn was, you know what, he might do the job differently than you, but he still gets the job done, so it's okay. He may be naturally irritable. No comments from the peanut gallery. <laughs> or he may have been so trained that his modes of speech and comfort differ much from ours. Neighbors have occasion to remark this in their neighbors. Friends and their friends, kindred and their kindred, one church member and another, a husband and a wife. Such is the imperfection of human nature can find enough in each other to embitter life if they choose to magnify imperfections and to become irritated at trifles. And there is no friendship that may not be marred in this way if we allow it. Hence, if we would have life move on smoothly, anybody want smoothly? (laughs) We must learn to bear and forbear. We must indulge the friend that we love in the little peculiarities of saying and doing things which may be in important to him, but which may be of little moment to us. I'll read that with a little bit of sarcasm, because you all know what I'm talking about. Like children, we must suffer each one to build his playhouse in his own way and not quarrel with him because he does not think our way the best. Colossians 3.13 says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Who is it in your life that absolutely irritates you? Who dry, Don't say the name. Just... <laughs> Who is it that's rubbing you the wrong way? Maybe the Lord has placed them there for you to learn how to forbear. Learn how to bear with one another in love. You know, my wife always says, and, I, and I'll use her illustration here, go through 1 Corinthians 13 in the love chapter and where it says love is patient, love is kind, love is... Take out the word love and insert your first name. And just begin to write that down and memorize that and, and learn what you ought to act like and look like, you filthy, ugly thing. You Begin to take on the nature of Christ instead of your ugly nature. Allow God to metamorphosize you. Begin to commit to your way the Scripture. Let it direct your path and guide your steps. Vincent Word Study says this, that the latter pronoun emphasizes the fact that they are all members of Christ's body. So Paul's writing, obviously, here to all of Christ's body. Everyone members one of another, so that in forgiving each other, they forgive themselves. 
Are you going to chain yourself up to the things of the past? Are you going to allow yourself to walk in love and forgiveness and see healing and deliverance come? And fifthly, lastly, I'll wrap up with this. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I love the connection here between the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Unity of Spirit is kept with bond of peace. Jesus said, my peace I leave you, not as the world gives, but my peace. So we're to endeavor here. First Corinthians, this is, a, this is work. How many of you know that unity is, is a miracle? You know, I love reading on the day of Pentecost and they were all in one accord. They were all in unity. That's a miracle. And really, it's, it is the work of the Holy Spirit that brings us into unity. That's why, it, that's why it says the unity of the Spirit. We have to strive and cooperate with the Holy Spirit to be in unity with one another. It's impossible to be in unity without the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of love. He's the one that unites us and binds us together in this threefold cord that cannot be broken. It is the Holy Spirit who binds us together. And so the, you know, the great thing about praying in tongues and being Spirit-filled church is that praying in tongues unites our language and unites us in our heart, one purpose, one mind, one direction. We can all be praying in different languages and different, saying different things, all directed by the Holy Spirit, but all in unity. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of praying in tongues. Yeah. We see this, you know, we saw this demonstrated, I'll just pull Sunday as an example. We saw this demonstrated on Sunday. As we began to worship together collectively, the Holy Spirit stepped in you know, at the end of worship and began to direct the choir. And it was, a, it was a full on, you know, I don't even know what we were singing, but it was happy. I remember it being happy. We were all dancing and people were dancing and shouting, having a good time. And then all of a sudden, it was like God just took the orchestra wands and quieted everybody. And instantly, everybody quieted and the still fell on the room. And it was, you know, nobody can direct that. I mean, you, you, you know, you can watch <laughs> to all of us try to stay in synchrony and unity it's the holy spirit who directs us and brings us into unity so we are to strive we are to work with and cooperate with the holy spirit to be in a place of unity and peace first corinthians 1 says i plead with you brethren by the name of our lord jesus christ that you speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment Philippians 1.27 says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. We can just pause there for a moment. <laughs> let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in what? In one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That word, striving together for the faith of the gospel, is it means like a, a athletic competition that we're all striving in, in cooperation to win. We're all striving together to be in a place of unity. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so awesome.